So uh, a question I've been thinking about a lot lately is what, what are we here for? What are we here for? And I, I, I'm going to borrow from another uh, denomination, another church tradition to, to answer this question. I think they put it so well. The, the Westminster Shorter Catechism tells us that the, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Are y'all not seeing the PowerPoint? It was open. It's not open. It's on the desktop. Uh, Psalm 100. And Because I, I was going to throw that on the screen. Because I was going to kind of pick it apart a little bit. We're going to be in Psalm 100 this morning. Verses 1 to 5. What are we here for? Our chief end. The chief reason we're here is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Now, I think we all agree with that first part. I think there's no no problem there. We're here to glorify God. Check. But why does it say, and to enjoy Him forever? When When they were trying to think, what does the Bible say about why we're here? Why do they put the enjoyment of God in there? And I think it's because of this reason. Enjoying God glorifies God. God is glorified in us not just by doing actions in and of themselves, but God is glorified by us doing actions and responding to Him joyfully. God is glorified when we are satisfied in Him, when we're delighting in Him. And so I just want you to picture this scene real quick. So imagine it's Brittany's birthday, which here in August it will be. And, and just picture that, that I walk in there, she thinks that I've forgotten it's her birthday, and I walk in there with this gift right at the last second. And she begins to open it up, and it is the gift that she has been desiring, that she wants most. She opens it up. And I don't, I don't, I'm going to be honest with you, I don't know what that gift is, what that would be. But if you find out, please let me know before August, because I need to know that. She opens it up, and it is the thing that she wants the most. It's the gift that she's been waiting years to receive. And she looks at me and says, Matt, you shouldn't have. What's my response going to be? Well, imagine if I, I told her kind of in, almost in a robotic tone, well, hon, I am your husband, it is your birthday, and it is my duty to get you a gift. No. What am I going to say? I'm going to say, babe, there's no one else that I love more than you, and it is my delight, it is my pleasure to give you this. Okay, now let's carry that over into our relationship with the Lord. Okay, because a lot of us think that just going through the motions is good enough and we offer our service back to God and we robotically say, God, I am Yours. You created me. It is my duty 
to do these things. And what we see is that does not glorify God as much as when we come and say, Lord, there is no one else who satisfies me like you do, and it is my delight, it is my joy to serve you. In Psalm 100, which has often been called the Old Hundredth, the psalmist is calling upon the reader to worship and serve God, not out of duty, but out of joy. He shows that this delight in God, this joy in God, comes from knowing Him. Comes from meditating on His goodness. And so this morning, as we approach God's Word, I want us to think about that. I want us this morning to go from duty to delight. And it's my hope and it's my prayer that that many of us in this room this morning will go from just going through the motions, going through religion, to actually having a white-hot passion for God. And that's something that only He can do. That's a passion that only He can ignite. And so, it's my prayer today that that happens. This is a message, this is a word from God that we desperately need today. And that is that God invites us. God invites us to know Him and to delight in Him. God invites us to know Him and delight in Him. And so, Father, as we come together today, I pray that You would shape the way that we look at You. That You would cause us, Lord, to not just respond to You in duty, in obligation, but Lord, that we would respond to You with the utmost delight, with the utmost joy, that we would savor You, that we would, uh, that we would find our joy in You. Father, as fickle as we are, we know that it's really hard to feel that joy all the time. We know, Lord, that it's really hard to delight in You all the time. And so, Father, we come this morning confessing that we need Your help. We need the Holy Spirit to stir our affections. We need a supernatural work in our hearts so that we would treasure You. And so help us today to do that. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Before we dive into Psalm 100, and before we read it, I just want to point out the structure of Psalm 100. And And basically it goes like this. He tells us that we should rejoice in God. That we should serve Him and delight in Him. So He gives us a command. And then right after that He gives us the reason for that command. And then right after this, just I guess He thinks that we're not understanding it. So then He turns around and He gives basically the same command again. To respond to God with joyful acts. And then finally, He gives us the reason, the same reason again. And so, let's jump into Psalm 100. And please stand as we read God's Word together. So He starts with a command. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. 
serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. There's the command. Now here's the reason. Know, how can we do those things? Because we know, verse 3, that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are, the, we are His people, the sheep of His pasture. So He gives us the reason. Now He's going to go and basically give us the same command. Serve Him with joy. Enter His gates with thanksgiving, and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him, bless His name. So again, He's given us a command, and then now He's going to go and give the reason. Why? Because the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and His faithfulness to all generations. Thank you so much. You can be seated. So as He is giving us a command, and as He's giving us the reason why we're to do that, there, there's really two invitations, if you will, here in this passage. And the, the first one is an invitation to the whole world. An invitation to the whole world. Notice how he starts Psalm 100. He tells us to respond to God with joyful acts. He doesn't call God's people to do something out of a sense of duty, resentment, or obligation. But notice the language he uses here. Verse one, verses 1 and 2. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. The idea here is God is not just calling His people to, to respond to Him. He's calling His people to respond with joy. With delight. With savoring Him. And that's because worship, and I want you all to hear this, worship that glorifies God is full of joy and gladness. Worship that glorifies God is full of joy and gladness. But the opposite is also true. Worship devoid of joy and gladness does not glorify God. What we call worship when it's devoid of, of these feelings, of these emotions, uh, of, of love for and passion for God, that's not worship. That's not worship. I love what he says here though. Notice, he doesn't just call his people to do this. But he calls the whole earth. Look at the end of verse 1. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. What? All the earth. And what I love about this is this means that our God is an inviting God. I mean, just think about it. God does not say, hey, I just want my people to, to delight in me. I just want my people to worship me. But God's saying, no, I want people from all the world to do this. God is so great that He's not just worthy of us singing His praise, but He's worthy to have the whole earth singing His praise. He is inviting people to come from the outside to the inside. He's inviting people to go from being His enemy to His friend. He is an inviting God. 
And so when we think about God's desire to be worshipped by the world, when we realize, when we think about that, that He is worthy to be worshipped by the entire world, a question that we have to ask ourselves is, do we think He is worthy to be worshipped by the entire world? It's one thing that the Scripture says it, but it's another thing entirely like, do you and I actually believe that our God is great and good enough to be worshipped by everyone? Is He worthy enough to be worshipped by everyone? How we answer that question will shape our lives. How we answer that question will shape how we approach God. Because if we answer that question, yes. If we say, yes, God is worthy, then the next question that comes to us that just pierces us like a dagger is, have you been living in line with that truth? If God is worthy to be worshipped by everyone, when was the last time that we shared the good news with someone? If God worthy to be worshipped by everyone, when was the last time that we went to our neighbor? When was the last time that we had that gospel conversation at work? If we really believe that truth, if we really believe that our God is worthy, then we should go and share with people. And so the question for us today is, who have you been sharing with? Who's your one? See, it's, it's, not, it's not a complicated thing. It's not like, man, I've got to go out and share with the masses. No, just, just pick one. Who is your one that you're sharing with? Because if we believe that God is really this great, then we will share. But also, this is great news because it means that if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, or maybe if you've got questions God is not inviting the world. He's not inviting people that don't know Him to some duty-filled religion. He's not inviting them to some sterile ritual. He's inviting them, He's inviting you if you don't know Him, to a joy-filled pursuit. How do we know this? How do we know that God is, is, is inviting us I think the ultimate display of God's invitation to joy is when God Himself entered into our story. How do we know that God is inviting the world to Himself? We don't have to look any further than the cross. How do we know that God is calling people not to a duty-filled pursuit, but into one filled with joy? We look at the cross. Because at the cross, we see God entering into sinful humanity and dying in our place. He lived a life that we could not live and He died the death that we deserved to die. And when we look at that scene, we see that our God is an inviting God. He's done everything necessary for us to invite us to Himself. He's paid the ultimate price to bring us to joy in Him. We see here a command, but we also see the reason why. Look at what he says in verse 3. He says, know that the Lord, He is God. I love it because 
joy in God, joyful worship flows from our knowledge of God. Let me say that again. Joyful worship flows from our knowledge of God. This is what one pastor and theologian says. He says that God means to be known with the head. He means to be sung from the heart. And He means for the singing to be based on the knowing. Otherwise, the singing gives Him no honor. Singing to God joyfully based on knowing God truthfully honors God. But singing passionately without knowing God truly simply exalts the singer and the passions. Just think about that for a moment. We often say we're supposed to worship from the heart, but did you realize we're also supposed to worship from the head? In other words, we don't, I'm not just saying, hey, let's be joyful over what? Well, who, you figure that out. What the psalm is telling us is that we are to be joyful, yes, and we do that because we're thinking with our head, man, this is the God we're worshiping. And notice what he says about this God. Y'all look at this. Verse 3, he tells us what we're to know about God. He says that God is the one true God. He says that He is God. He tells us that God is not just the one true God, but He is the Creator. That's why it says, it is He who made us. I mean, that right there is sufficient for us to worship. But he goes on and he says not just that he's creator, but he's also the owner. He says we are his. But I love it. Not only is he the owner, he's the shepherd. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. So let me just, let me just say this. The reason why we're to respond so joyfully to God, the reason why we're to delight in Him is because we know He is God. He owns us, but He is good and He shepherds us. God's greatness should cause us to delight in Him. So what's your story today? Can you say truthfully that you're delighting in Him? Can you say that your life, in your life, you are, you are finding your joy in Him? Is your pursuit of God, is your relationship with God filled with gladness? Or is it filled with duty and obligation? If it's not, and I'm just going to be honest with you, I think each and every one of us in the room, we hit times where it's not like this all the time. And if I'm, if I'm honest with you, if I'm transparent with you, there are times where it just feels like, man, I wake up in the morning and it's just like dead. Like I'm not desiring God at all. I'm indifferent. If I'm going to go read my Bible, it's going to be out of duty because I know that I'm supposed to. Hey, if this is you today, there's good news for you. Take your telescope. Take the telescope of your life. And what the psalmist is telling us to do with it is take that telescope and move it to look at God. For some of us, that means that we're going to have to take that telescope and we're going to have to pivot it 180 and stop looking at ourselves. 
That means, and that was for me too, y'all. That means that for some of us, we're going to have to stop singing our own praise and turn the telescope around and look at the one who made us for his glory. And as we take our telescope and as we fix it on him, as we see him as he really is, as we see his glory and goodness, the affections of our heart will be stirred for him. But we need God's help to do that. And I love that God doesn't just call on us to, to, to know Him. He doesn't just call on us to rejoice in Him. But He actually gives us what we need to do that. And so, let me just tell you, if that's you here and you're struggling like me to do that, what I would call on you to do this morning is to simply ask God to help. We need the Holy Spirit to help us. When we truly see Him, we'll have more joy than we can contain. We see here an invitation to the world. That's the kind of joy that he's inviting the world to. But the second thing we see here is he kind of zeroes in a little bit on his people, the church. We see an invitation to the church. Notice what he says in verse 4. He says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with with praise, give thanks to Him, bless His name. The image that the psalmist is using here is, is the image of the temple. He's using language here of coming into God's presence. Notice the attitude that he's calling the people to come with. Once again, just like we saw in verses 1 and 2, enter His gates with what? Thanksgiving. Enter His courts with what? Praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name. What we see here is that God is not just worthy to be approached with indifference. But when we approach Him, when we pursue Him, when we come to Him, our God is worthy to be approached with our affections stirred up in our hearts. He's worthy to be approached with our love and delight. And just like we saw before, the reason, He tells us what we're to do, and now He gives us the reason. Verse 5, why? Because the Lord is good. Why is it that God, that we should come into His gates with thanksgiving and praise and, and blessing? Why do we have our affection stirred for Him as, as we approach His throne? Because, verse 5, the Lord is good. And church, how is it that He's good? Look at what it says next. His steadfast love endures forever. When we approach God, we're not just approaching a God that created us. We're not just approaching a God that owns us. We're approaching a God that actually loves us. We're approaching a God who is infinitely good to us through His love. And not just His love, but notice He says next, His faithfulness. His faithfulness is to all generations. In other words, there has never been a time where God has not been faithful. And so, when we approach this God, how can we not come before Him with singing? 
How can we not come before Him delighting in Him? How can we not come before Him with joy? How can we come before Him saying, God, I am Yours and it is my duty, my obligation, so therefore I come? Because He is good, He is worthy of our delight. I think this specifically calls into mind when the Lord is revealing Himself to Moses in Exodus. And this is what it says, The Lord passed before him, Exodus 34, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Y'all, this is the God we're coming to. This is the God we're coming to. And, and as we look at this psalm as a whole, and as we start to summarize it, this is, this is the question that I have for us today. If they could rejoice in God's goodness, how much more can we? I mean, think about it. The psalmist who's writing this only has a limited picture of God. And if he could rejoice in God's goodness, how much more can we since we have the whole picture laid out before us? I mean, this is the God who, while we were enemies, He made us His friends. This is the God who, while we were in chains, He set us free. This is the God that Romans 5.8 talks about. While we were going our own way, Christ came and died for us. Colossians 1, while we lived in darkness, God delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. This is our God. Ephesians 2, while we were dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and were by nature children of wrath. That was who we were. And yet our good, faithful, loving God found us. But God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which He loved us, even while we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. That is our God, folks. And so as we look at Him, as we see the immeasurable love and grace that He has for us, how can we then turn around and not sing at the top of our lungs? How then can we not tell others about Him? If we truly believe that God is that good, how can we not live a life of gratitude instead of complaining? If we believe that God is that good, how can we not joyfully serve in the church? 
Why is it like pulling teeth to get people to serve? If we really believe that God is that good, how can we not lay down our preferences and love one another? If we really believe that God is that good, how can we not pursue Him with everything we've got? How can we offer Him anything less than our joy-filled life of worship? Do you respond with joy and gratitude? Or are you content to just keep going through the motions, going through the duties, going through the obligations, This morning, I want us to stop going through the motions. And I want us to truly respond to God as He leads us. In just a moment, we're going to take the Lord's table, but before we do that, before we remember His bloody and broken body, I want us to examine our hearts. Do we serve God out of duty and obligation? Or do we serve Him joyfully? Can we say of ourselves, man, I delight in God. If you want to find joy as you serve Him, as you pursue Him, in just a moment as we sing a song of response, what I would encourage you to do is this. Whether you're standing, whether you're sitting, whether you come to the front, however you do it, however you feel led to do it, ask for God's help. Come to Him and say, Lord, I need Your help. Lord, help me to love You. Help me to delight in You. Help me to find my joy in You. And based on what we've seen in this psalm, I would call you to meditate on what He has done. Ask God to open your eyes so that you can see Him as He really is, so that you can really see all of His goodness. And if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, the response for you is very simple. Respond to Christ and find true joy and purpose. What we invite you to, what we call you to, is simply to come to Him, cling to Jesus, have your sins forgiven, and find this joy and purpose that He gives. Father, as we get ready to approach your table, I pray, Lord, that we would examine ourselves and that we would seek your help. Because, Lord, I confess that I, I don't desire you like I should. Lord, that's many of us in here right now. Many of us in here, Lord, can say that we don't desire you like we should. That we just go through the motions. God, you're so much more worthy. You're worthy of more than just our duty and us going through the motions, Lord. You're worthy of all of our desire, all of our delight, all of our joy.
I pray, Lord, for the person in this room today who maybe it's been a long time since they have experienced that joy and delight. Maybe there's somebody in this room or people in this room who they've been going through the motions for a long time. And God, I pray that this morning would be the breakthrough that they need. That as they look at you, that you would open their eyes even more so that they can see you. Which will cause them to delight in you. Help us today, Lord, in Jesus' name.